Welcome back to the Hemingwayless podcast for Book 11, Chapter 23. What more do we learn about the state of Moscow from this chapter? What social comment is Tolstoy making? What do you think will come of this situation? How will those remaining in Moscow react to the French? And what do you imagine Napoleon's reaction to the state of Moscow will be? Um, yeah, Moscow is just in a bit of a disarray, right? And I think this chapter was pretty confusing, but maybe it does a good job to illustrate the general confusion that was rife in Moscow at that time. Ripster66 says, I found this chapter rather confusing, and maybe that was the point. I don't know, but being so far removed from this point in time and the culture made this chapter come off strange to me. Basically, there's a power vacuum, right? There's no real police, but people are looking for them. This chapter didn't pack much of a punch for me, and it just felt confusing and unnecessary. Rybread Egg said, This is what I was picking up. I was getting that the country of Russia was in such disorder, basic law and order had broken down and was unenforceable. Essentially, there are signs of decay of a nation. I had a look at last year's conversation too, by the way, guys, just to see if I could um, pick up a little bit more hints because we're also confused by the chapter. And these are the comments that I got. Um, I genuinely have no idea what's going on here, says Buddy Holly Ben-Hur. Jelly Fist of Fury says, I couldn't follow this chapter at all etc. So um, it looks like this chapter is just confusing and that's okay. Tolstoy, like it was funny because it's kind of an exciting chapter. There's a whole disagreement happening in this uh, shop or whatever it's in and um, you know, the French are coming to take over the place and everyone's kind of fighting inwardly as well in Moscow. It's it's exciting. It's like a, almost like an action chapter but he sets it up very poorly where we just don't know who's who and what's really happening. So it's a difficult one. Anyway, let's read chapter 24. 24, here we go. Um, XXIV. On the evening of the 1st of September, after his interview with Kutuzov, Count Rostopchin had returned to Moscow mortified and offended because he had not been invited to attend the Council of War. And, because Kutuzov had paid no attention to his offer to take part in the defence of the city, amazed also at the novel outlook revealed to him at the camp which treated the tranquillity of the capital and its patriotic fervour as not merely secondary but quite irrelevant and unimportant matters. Distressed, offended and surprised by all this, Rostopchin had returned to Moscow. After supper, he lay down on a sofa without undressing and was awakened soon after midnight by a courier bringing him a letter from Kutuzov. This letter requested the Count to send police officers to guide the troops through the town as the army was retreating to the Ryazan Road beyond Moscow. This was not news to Rostopchin. He had known that Moscow would be abandoned, not merely since his interview the previous day with Kutuzov on the Pokloni Hill, but ever since the Battle of Borodino, for all the generals who came to Moscow after that battle had said unanimously that it was impossible to fight another battle, and since then the government property had been removed every night, and half the inhabitants had left the city with Rostopchin's own permission. Yet all the same, this information astonished and irritated the Count, coming as it did in the form of a simple note with an order from Kutuzov, and received at night, breaking in on his beauty sleep. When later on in his memoirs, Count Rostopchin explained his actions at the time, he repeatedly says that he was then actuated by two important considerations, to maintain tranquility in Moscow and expedite the departure of the inhabitants, 
If one accepts this twofold aim, all Rostopchin's actions appear irreproachable. Why were the holy relics, the arms, ammunition, gunpowder, and stores of corn not removed? Why were thousands of inhabitants deceived into believing that Moscow would not be given up, and thereby ruined? To preserve the tranquility of the city, explains Count Rostopchin. Why were bundles of useless papers from the government offices and Lepin's, Lepich's balloon and other articles removed? To leave the town empty, explains Count Rostopchin. Own, uh, one only, sorry, one need only admit that public tranquility is in danger and any action finds a justification. All the horrors of the reign of terror were based on only on solicitude for public tranquility. On what then was Count Rostopchin's fear for the tranquility of Moscow based in 1812? What reason was there for assuming any probability of an uprising in the city? The inhabitants were leaving it and the retreating troops were filling it. Why should that cause the masses to riot? Neither in Moscow nor anywhere in Russia did anything resembling an insurrection ever occur when the enemy entered a town. More than 10,000 people were still in Moscow on the 1st and 2nd of September and except for a mob in the governor's courtyard and assembled there at his bidding, nothing happened. It is obvious that there would have been even less reason to expect a disturbance among the people if after the Battle of Borodino, when the surrender of Moscow became certain, or at least probable, Rostopchin, instead of ex exiting, sorry, exciting the people by distributing arms and broadsheets, had taken steps to remove all the holy relics, the gunpowder, munitions and money, and had told the population plainly that the town would be abandoned. Rostopchin, though he had patriotic sentiments, was a sanguine and impulsive man who had always moved in the highest administrative circles and had no understanding at all of the people he supposed himself to be guiding ever since the enemy's entry into Smolensk. He had, in imagination, been playing the role of director of the popular feeling of the heart of Russia. Not only did it seem to him, as to all administrators, that he controlled the external actions of Moscow's inhabitants, but he also thought he controlled their mental attitude by means of his broadsheets and posters, written in a coarse tone which the people despise in their own class and do not understand from those in authority. Rostopchin was so pleased with the fine role of leader of popular feeling, feeling and had grown so used to it that the necessity of relinquishing that role and abandoning Moscow without any heroic display took him unawares and he suddenly felt the ground slip away from under his feet so that he positively did not know what to do. Though he knew it was coming, he did not, till the last moment, wholeheartedly believe that Moscow would be abandoned and did not prepare for it. The inhabitants left against his wishes. If the government officers were removed, this was only done in the demand of officials to whom the Count yielded reluctantly. He was absorbed in the role he had created for himself, as is often the case with those gifted with an ardent imagination. Though he had long known that Moscow would be abandoned, he knew it only with his intellect. He did not believe it in his heart and did not adapt himself mentally to this new position of affairs. All his painstaking and energetic activity in how far it was useful and had any effect on the people in question is another question, had been simply directed towards arousing in the masses his own feeling of patriotic hatred of the French. But when events assumed their true historical character, when expressing hatred for the French in words proved insufficient, when it was not even possible to express that hatred by fighting a battle, when self-confidence was of no avail in, in relation to the one question before Moscow, when the whole population streamed out of Moscow as one man, abandoning their belongings and proving that 
by that negative action all the depth of their natural national feeling, then the role chosen by Rostopchin suddenly appeared senseless. He unexpectedly felt himself ridiculous, weak, and alone, with no ground to stand on. When he awakened from his sleep, he received that cold, peremptory note from Kutuzov. He felt the more irritated, the more he felt himself to blame. All that he had been specially put in charge of, the state property which he should have removed, was still in Moscow, and it was no longer possible to take the whole of it away. So who is to blame for it? Who has let things come to such a pass, he ruminated. Not I, of course. I had everything ready. I had Moscow firmly in hand, and this is what they have let it come to. Villains, traitors, he thought, without clearly defining who the villains and traitors were, but feeling it necessary to hate those traitors, whoever they might be, who were to blame for the false and ridiculous position in which he found himself. All that night, Count Rostopchin issued orders for which people came to him from all parts of Moscow. Those about him had never seen the Count so morose and irritable. Your Excellency, the Director of the Registrar's Department has sent for instructions from the Consistory, from the Senate, from the University, from the Foundling Hospital. The Suffragan has sent, asking for information. What are your orders about the Fire Brigade? From the Governor of the Prison, from the Superintendent of the Lunatic Asylum. All night long, such announcements were continually being received by the Count. To all these inquiries, he gave brief and angry replies, indicating that orders from him were not now needed, that the whole affair carefully prepared by him had now been ruined by somebody, and that that somebody would have to bear the whole responsibility for all that might happen. Oh, tell that blockhead, he said in reply to the question from the Registrar's Department, that he should remain to guard his documents. Now, why are you asking silly questions about the fire brigade? They have horses. Let them be off to Vladimir, and not leave them to the French. Your Excellency, the Superintendent of the Lunatic Asylum has come. What are your commands? My commands? Let them go away, that's all, and let the lunatics out into the town. When lunatics command our armies, God evidently means these other madmen to be free. In reply to an inquiry about the convicts in the prison, Count Rostopchin shouted angrily at the governor, Do you expect me to give you two battalions, which we have not got, for a convoy? Release them. That's all about it. Your Excellency, there are some political prisoners. Meshkov, Vereshagin. Vereshagin hasn't been hanged yet, shouted Rostopchin. Bring him to me. Alright, there we go. There's another chapter for you. Rostopchin, not a... Not overly popular among his peers, by the sounds of things. All right, have your say about it on the subreddit, and I'll see you tomorrow.